Welcome to Shad Speak. I'm your host, Teddy Katz. If you don't know what Shad is, the only thing to know, when Shad speak, people listen. Here we delve into real news, issues that are topical, real stories about real people doing some really neat things. This podcast is not fake at all. It's designed to make you smarter in a typical Shad way. Today on Shad Speak, we have the final installment from our recent panel discussion on women in STEM. That's science, tech, engineering, and math. Shad recently organized a panel discussion at the Canadian Science Policy Conference in Ottawa. It was called Missing Numbers, How Girls and Women Can Help Solve Canada's Innovation Crisis, looking ahead to this country's next 150 years. Today, policymakers were challenged to look at the past as a guide to the future. Once again, Dr. Betsy McGregor, a global leader in the advancement of youth and women, is our moderator and picks up the conversation. Um, hi everyone, good afternoon. My name is Winnika Beltrano. I'm a second year student at the University of Calgary. Um, I'm currently pursuing a Bachelor of Health Sciences in Biomedical Sciences. However, I was, I'm currently an out-of-province student from Winnipeg, Manitoba. Um, but my story doesn't really start there. Um, I was born in the Philippines and I immigrated here to Canada when I was just three years old. So some more um, background about myself. I like to identify myself, I guess, as a first-generation Canadian. Um, in 2015, I founded an, or- an organization called Project Pulse Winnipeg, which is a yearly conference that increases health science resources for high school students, especially those who may not be as lucky with resources and have a low socioeconomic status background or perhaps new immigrants to Canada. And so my love for passion my love and passion for STEM and serving my community somehow led to me receiving two awards these past years. The first one being the Canadian Medical Hall of Fame High School Scholarship and just recently this June the Terry Fox Humanitarian Award. So just the just a few things about my journey as a young woman in STEM. How did I get here today even? Um, so one of the most pivotal experiences that I had during my high school years was my participation in the SHAD 2015 program at the University of Calgary, which is coincidentally where I go to university today. And so apart from the program being amazing, meeting like-minded individuals who I can still talk to and connect with today, another wonderful experience and opportunity I got from my SHAD participation is an internship at Dr. Melly Martin's lab, who we'll be hearing more from today. So my internship from Dr. Melly Martin's lab allowed me to develop a tractography manual that allows researchers to track brain, uh, fibers of the brain, mouse, and brain mouse samples. And this project consequently led to my participation at the Canada Wine Science Fair Canada-wide science fair in 2016, and also led to a publication in an undergraduate STEM journal. Um, And I achieved that as a first-year university student, which is still a little confusing um, how that happened. Um, And in addition to that, because I knew Dr. Martin, I was able to speak at the International Day of the Girl as a keynote speaker to really inspire female Uh, female youth in Manitoba to pursue their STEM interests. And finally, one thing I'm extremely passionate about is volunteering for Let's Talk Science. So I've been a volunteer since I was in grade 8 because I truly believe in um, allowing youth to discover their interests at a young age in STEM. So just to track back a little bit with early trailblazers that inspire me, 
I'm, I am a biomedical sciences student at the University of Calgary, and so it's really inspiring for me to see the trailblazers that have made advances in the field. The first one being Rosalind Franklin. And what I love about her is she discovered a picture called uh, Photo 51, which really established the foundation for James Watson and Francis Crick to discover the double helix structure of DNA, which we all know and love today. Um, what, one thing, though, that I noticed in my biology classes is too much credit or not enough credit is given to Rosalind Franklin for discovering this picture. And a lot of the mention is just for James Watson and Francis Crick. And I really feel like there's a big discrepancy there. In addition, we have Barbara McClintock, who discovered transposable elements or jumping genes. And what I find most fascinating about her is she became the first woman to receive an unshared Nobel Prize in physiology and medicine. And as someone who's inspiring to uh, aspiring to work in that field one day, um, I find this extremely inspiring. Speaking of inspiration, to be completely honest, I really don't think I'd be where I am today if it weren't from having female role models in my life. So I'd like to divide that into two groups. The first group being my family mentors, my mom. Um, so she's probably one of the most resilient people I've ever met. Um, she grew up without a mom, yet she still somehow pursued engineering, and she has experiences being the only female engineering student in her class. In addition, my sister is also a master's student in evolutionary genetics and genomics. And to have that environment around me has been extremely inspiring, and it's what motivates me to keep going every day. On the research side of things, Dr. Melanie Martin, again, has been very extremely pivotal um, in my achievements so far at this age. And in addition, this past summer, I had the chance to work at a pediatric brain cancer lab at the University of Manitoba with Dr. Tamara Ogilvie. Um, it was actually really awesome how her entire lab was composed of female postdocs, PhDs, and master students. And they were all female, so that was a really fun summer for me. And currently, my mentor at the University of Calgary is Dr. Donna Sanger. So given all these experiences, um, I, guess, I guess they've been positive so far. But in reality, there have been a lot of hurdles that I've had to face being a woman or female studying in STEM. One of them is constantly being compared to my male counterparts and male classmates and not having my achievements and goals celebrated or acknowledged. And another thing I notice is that studies show that um, while more females than males enter um, university to pursue undergraduate degree programs, less females actually end up pursuing higher level PhDs and master's degrees. And one, one reason why I think that might be possible is because of perhaps a lack of mentorships and having that environment of the support system around. And so that leads me to uh, my policy recommendations. One of them in really, really reinforcing increasing female mentorship programs, especially in high schools where females, uh, female youth are, you know, trying to figure out what they want to do for university or college and what career path they want to take. And as a first-generation Canadian, I'm especially passionate about targeting underrepresented groups, so immigrants, refugees, individuals, and isolated or rural areas. And I really believe that these female mentorship programs can really teach female youth what it means to be resourceful. And so as someone who has applied for a few scholarships and awards here and there, these are just a few things that I wish I could tell every female youth in Canada today to really embrace uncertainty. Nothing is 100% guaranteed, but as cheesy as it sounds, if you never try, you really will never know. And be sure to self-nominate and don't be afraid to ask for a nomination. And one thing I find myself doing a lot is saying sorry for things I'm, that weren't even my fault. So one, of, so one of the things that I'm trying to practice more in my daily life is just 
say thank you more instead of sorry, and just practicing more gratitude for all the people who have led me to where I am today. And finally, I know it's, it's going to be true that your first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth try might not work out. But what I know is that it, um, if I learn from every experience and I try again, something is bound to come up. And that one thing can really open many, many more doors as it has continued to do for me um, at 19 years old. So uh, with that, thank you so much. Winneke has mentioned, as most panelists here today, the importance of mentorship. And I'm welcoming now uh, to the platform Melanie Martin, perhaps one of Canada's most remarkable uh, hidden treasures and a mentor of Winneke. Here's uh, Melanie Martin. Thanks. So my name is Melanie Martin. I'm a professor of physics at University of Winnipeg. And it all started with me being a SHAD alumnus, back also at University of Manitoba. My undergraduate degree is in honors physics from University of Manitoba. I have two master's degree and a PhD degree from Yale University in biomedical engineering. I did my postdoc at Caltech, and now I'm back in Winnipeg. And what I do is I make new MRI, magnetic resonance imaging methods, to see inside brains. This is a picture of Maria Gopart Mayer. And along with Hans Jensen, they won the Nobel Prize in 1963 for their discoveries concerning nuclear shell structure. And she did all her work for this Nobel Prize as a volunteer. Why a volunteer, you ask? Well, it's because they had anti-nepotism rules. Her husband worked on campus, so she couldn't as well. I'm really thankful these rules aren't in place today. And this is my husband, Jeff. He's also a physics professor at University of Winnipeg. And we're not the only ones. In the early 2000s, 95% of female physicists were married to male physicists. Surprisingly, only 5% of male physicists were married to female physicists, so it shows you the gender imbalance. And it also tells you that if you're going to hire a female physicist for a faculty position, odds are you're going to need to hire a husband. <laughs> so my journey began with SHAD, and it continued through many, many Government to Canada programs that are no longer exist. I held a Canada scholarship program, or a Canada scholarship, which paid my tuition for all four years of university. The government has since canceled that program. The NSERC USRA program, its undergraduate research student award, they had a special one just for women after first year. Canceled. The Na National Research Council Canada had a women in engineering and science program that allowed me to do research for three summers at NRC institutes. The government of Canada has since canceled that program. And when I was going to the mailbox one day to hopefully get that letter from NSERC saying that I've been chosen for an interview for the 1967 Science and Engineering Scholarships, no, it wasn't in 1967, instead I opened the envelope to find out Government of Canada cancelled that program. So I took the hint and I left Canada. Canada since realized there is a brain drain. Many governments, many decades later, more Canadians, more educated Canadians are leaving the country than educated people are coming into the country. So they created several programs to try to bring us back. And one of the programs is a Canada Research Chair program. My husband is a Canada Research Chair. And you can see some of these numbers on the table. They're divided into two tiers. Tier two is for the junior professors, and tier one is for the senior established professors. And the purpose of this program is to represent 
elite faculty members and give them more money to do more research. You'll notice there are many, many more male Canada Research Chair than female. And there are more male Canada Research Chairs in any one of the junior or senior tiers than females. And there are more junior female professors than there are senior. Another program that uh, Canada has designed is called the Canada Excellence Research Chairs Program. These are the elite of the crop, the elite of the elite of the CRCs. And in the first round, no women were even nominated. In the second round, the first chair appointed was a female. So I tried to check and see what the reasons were. And the best I, well, what I eventually found that someone decided maybe we need to change the definition of the word excellence to include women. It's quite upsetting to think that women can't be as excellent as men. The third program is called the Canada 150 Chairs Program. It's to bring people into Canada that had never been or bring them back. Uh, this program, the announcement is coming very soon. They did have something in the uh, program description saying that gender equity must take place, but they left it on the nominating universities. So we'll see how that goes in a few months. This is a graph of the leaky pipeline. So on the y-axis is the percentage of people of the different genders, and on the x-axis are the different stages. So there's bachelors, masters, doctorate, and then the three stages of professors. The, bottom, the top two lines are for men in different years, and the bottom two lines are for the women, and you'll notice it drops. I want to call your attention. I wish I had a laser. Oh, I do have a laser pointer. I'll call your attention over there to the full professors. 6.8% of full professors were females in the year 2000. So what brought me back to Canada was Canada's recognition both of the brain drain and of this problem with diversity. It was the NSERC University Faculty Award Program. It's designed for women and Indigenous people to get a leg up when coming up for tenure. So it paid half my salary, allowed me to do a lot of research. So when I came up for tenure, I had more papers. And remember the leaky pipeline with the women and the 6.8% of women that were full professors. If we, oops, they canceled the program. <laughs> I'll tell you in a bit why. But if, if we had waited long enough after they canceled that program, we would see that in 2015, when the cohort of us actually came up to be in our final stage of the professors and promotions, there are now 11 to 12% of full professors are female. So the number has doubled, and it's thanks to this cohort of University Faculty Award Program, and the government had just waited when they did their assessment, maybe that program wouldn't have been canceled. So what I see today were four young women who are up, going to be the leaders, they're the ones taking over, and they are going to succeed. Canada can slam the door in their faces as much as they want, and these four young women are gonna burn those doors down and succeed regardless. But if we keep slamming their door, the doors in their face, my worry is, like me, they're going to realize it's better to go somewhere else where there are no doors and hurdles. And they're going to leave, and we're going to be in a shortage again. So I'd like to see these scholarship programs come back. I would like to see continued funding of successful programs like SHAD, where there's more than 50% female participations. And I would like to see these ones be the leaders in Canada. Thank you. Our final speaker is a SHAD leader, a program director who is 
not only representative of the enthusiasm and the quality of Shad, and we're so excited to have her finish with the highlight of why it matters so much that we have people of her esteem in science leading the Shad programs. Welcome to our final speaker, Erin Engelhardt. Hi, um, I am program director of SHAD, a SHAD fellow from 1990, um, and the rest of my life I'm a patent agent. Um, I have to say that this is a good news story. You know, 100 years ago, almost all inventors we could think of were male, and part of the reason why we don't know the names of our amazing women scientists is that we don't celebrate science in Canada, we celebrate sports. So if we could only work on celebrating our scientists, we'd know more people like Melanie. Diversity of all kinds is important, and it's really important that people of different experiences and backgrounds um, bring different creative perspectives to problem solving, because that's really what we need to solve the wicked problems of our world. So given that diversity is important, and we care about equal representation women of women, why are the stats still so dismal for professional women? Um, so it takes about two generations or 50 years to catch up. Women had suffrage in Quebec in 1940. It's not that long ago. The time it takes a 10-year-old girl who's interested in science to reach the highest levels of achievement is about two generations. And we're just catching up now from the investments we made 20, 30, and 40 years ago. If we stop now, we're going to stop making those gains. There's a slow but encouraging trend of, towards gender diversity in science, but we're still making up for that generational shift. As much as the trend is towards gender parity and increased diversity, the on-the-ground reality is that gender bias is still endemic to our society. So what does a typical work week look like for an innovator? This is the emotional journey of doing anything great. I'm sure many of you have been on this journey. You start off with a great idea, and eventually you totally get down in the dumps. And, um, well, you have to get funding and grants. There are personal challenges, and women get there faster. Um, startups and research are super demanding, and work expands to fill all available space. And these activities are largely incompatible with having children and families. Women are the ones who fall into the dark swamp of despair. We're looking at the women way up there who've succeeded, but wow, that's a long journey. One early career scientist told me that um, she has two children. She said she has nothing. Uh, she has only time to put out fires. That's it. So I've got to wonder what we're sacrificing as a result. The rates of mental health crises among our children have skyrocketed, and it's critical that they are not the collateral damage of all of us striving to achieve. We can't farm out our mental health. And the, there is nothing that can replace the love and support of a parent to their children when they're in that critical time in their lives. And here's the bomb. Women still do the lion's share of family work and child rearing. If we want women to be leaders in society and to raise healthy children, all of us, we have to empower men to share the family burden. Many of us who've been able to reach those higher echelons of achievement have either chosen not to have children or have incredibly supportive families and partners. We also have the tenacity of steel to be able to balance it all. In the paradigm shift towards gender equity, we must teach our boys and our girls how to share the burden of family responsibilities and to empower them to reach for the stars. There just aren't enough hours in the day to do all the things that we need to do. 
you can't have a child, raise a child, taking care of an aging parent, and run a startup in a research facility at the same time. You just can't do it. You'll end up in the dark swamp of despair. So I guess the question is, how do we bridge how do we build that bridge of resilience for all of us, for our teenagers, for our mid-career scientists, for our mentors who are spending time helping these people? It's by the grace of their families and parents that these young, amazing women are here today, and we want to empower them to go forward and create the innovations of the future. So I want to talk about Shad for a minute. We do this very strange thing at Shad where we create a utopian society for one month. It's a very small space. We all live in residence. But with 60 Shads, we're able to do it. We live by a credo of Shaditude. It's a way of celebrating the talents and abilities of everyone so that we can together tackle one small piece of a wicked world problem. In the end, our 60 students learn that they can make a difference in the world. They can fail in safety, and they look at the world in a different way. The results are astounding. They report in vast majority that they are absolutely transformed, as you've heard by the Shads who've been up here tonight. Most importantly, we can build a community of love where diversity of all kinds is celebrated because we know that the more different voices we have in our community, the smarter and the stronger we are to tackle those problems. So I just want to share a few of them with you that I love. Live lightly. Feel the awe in the world. Find the power within. Living under these principles enables us to build a bridge of resilience for all of us because we need that. We're all going to have hard times in our lives, and we need that bridge to be able to cross um, that dark swamp of despair. Millennials are facing a challenging job market with disruptions such as AI and robotics changing the way we work, and we have to help them find an, an economically viable path forward where they can be successful, which often means, um, in our Canadian economy, it means startups and SMEs. Optimism is the only way forward. So how do we build that bridge? We take into account gender differences in career paths. We enable flexibility in parental and family leave. It's been shown that gains for women on boards and as CEOs has to come from proactive government um, initiatives. So let's do it. We have to do it. We need women's voices and diversity voices on boards and at the heads of companies. And we have to continue to invest in scholarships and STEM programs such as SHAD so that those numbers keep increasing. So like I said, this is a really good time to be a woman in science. So many of us have taken leadership roles um, in organizations around the country to encourage men and women people of all different kinds, and children to advance in STEM. Um, the paradigm shift is really happening, and um, I am optimistic that although it's been a very long, a long road and we still have those biases, that over time um, it's not going to matter what's under your clothes. So um, I just want to say thank you to all of you who've led these organizations and contributed to them. You're what's making a difference to all of Canada and what will hopefully keep innovation um, and economic growth in Canada. We've come a long way in 50 years. It's going to be another hard slog 50 years, but I have great optimism. I say to my shads, I know the future is bright, 
because they're going to be leading us into it. So please keep leading. Thank you so much. We're going to uh, invite at this stage all of our panelists to please come forward if there are questions uh, from the floor here. Sure. Uh, thank you to everyone for those. Uh, is this on? Can you hear me? Yeah. Those in inspiring talks, and especially from from the younger students. I think that that's super exciting just to see you guys up there. Um, I have, I think, a comment, not really a question, but maybe something for discussion, and it's on the the importance and the value of mentorship. A lot of the mentors that were shown up there were were women in STEM, women in science, and it was the value of that woman being a role model because they were a successful scientist. But I think the last uh, presentation touched a little bit on on the the value of your mentor also valuing the diversity, the family life, the challenges Mm -hmm. that women in science face. And I think they're not, a female mentor is not, you just don't need a female mentor. I think that you have to have a good female mentor that can also appreciate some of the diversity and challenges in life that, that you may face. Uh, and I'll just give an example. You know, PhD student, biomedical sciences. Uh, my supervisor was a woman. She's a tremendous female scientist mentor. You know, but I remember when I was writing up my PhD thesis, I just had my first child, and it was a, well, put the baby in the closet. Your thesis needs to be done in a month. Wow. You know, and, and I thought, well, isn't that a shame? Because she is my role model. And there was no tolerance to deliver in science and deliver in life in, in family and kids. So I just, maybe a comment, perspective, thoughts on, on how to balance both and the, the importance and the power of influence that, that you hold as, as mentors. Melanie and Aaron, out of the dark swamp, <laughs> onto the mountaintop. How do we get there? So actually the tri-councils have now made policies for that. So the students do get maternity leave now and paternity leave. Um, Something weird happened in my lab. We think there was a particular chair that when you sat in it, you got pregnant. Because pretty much everyone in my lab was pregnant pretty much at the same time, starting with me. So we would hold group meetings with babies. Um, I set up my office as the pumping room. Um, we would look after each other's kids while it was going. So it, it's there. It's difficult to find. And I think since it was only the one child for me, it hasn't happened again in the lab. So I don't know if it's me that needs to do it again, and it's not happening. <laughs> but it, it does happen. You know, I think academia has really um, set a great example because we do have young women scientists. Um, I think technology and startups is much more difficult because you know, those women, men who are running startups are not sleeping. So that's where the fallout is. And I'm not sure how to fix that problem. And all the mentors in the world aren't going to fix it. You know, the women I know who run startups either had kids young and are older, um, or they're delaying having kids at all or not having them because you just can't do it all. So I think, you know, they're making really difficult choices. Yes, question. So Imogen Co, Dean of Science, I think probably everybody knows me because I keep making comments. So um, 
Uh, and I just want to also let you know, in academia, I was a single parent with two little kids as a consequence of a family tragedy. And the, 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 uh, so the, the dark pit of despair, what, what is it called? <laughs> uh, know it very well, but it was the network. And, I didn't, and I'm an immigrant, so I didn't have family on this side of the pond or whatever. So, um, so it is about your networks, and it's about, it's about building your, um, your community. And it really does take a village to raise a child. So, but I just want to get back to the, the burden of the... Uh, uh, the burden of the, of the um, expectation seems to be continue, we're telling women that they have to do something. So one of the things I tell young women in science is, science or entrepreneurship, pick your partner carefully. If it's male or female, pick your partner carefully because if you want to be an entrepreneur, you want to be a scientist, that person, whatever you want to be, a doctor, lawyer, that person should support you. Young women have a reasonable expectation that they will be supported in that. The other thing is systemic, structural, organizational, and institutional change. So it's not on women to climb over hurdles and break down doors and blow through glass ceilings and get their feet off sticky floors and what are the other uh, glass obstacles and leaky pipes? I mean, we've got a whole, you know, we've got a whole construction site there. It (laughs) is the responsibility of the people with the power and privilege in all of those sectors to take responsibility and move those things out of the way so these remarkable young women that I see sitting up here, the three of you, can simply be themselves. Simply be themselves. There's a... So who are the people that have power and privilege in Canada, in society? Who are the people that control and are the gatekeepers in corporations and in institutions and in academies? We know who they are. We know what they look like. They have a responsibility to do something. And that that can be policy, it can be institutional change, it can be systemic change, it can be programming at NSERC. I've sat on the CERC selection board looking at all the equity plans for all the universities. Most of them were really, really bad. They have to go back and presidents have to do something about that. It's not your job to make make the difference, okay? You just should be yourselves. And we should, our, our young northern students should be themselves. We have to get all of that stuff out of the way, okay? Yes. Um, Sandra Noel from Innovation Science and Economic Development Canada. I'd like to come back to that point about empowering men to be more active partners in the home and in child rearing. My husband's a nuclear physicist. I'm I'm a physicist by training, and I so I I really paid attention to your point about 95% of female physicists marrying physicists. but he uh, he ended up staying home with our daughter when she was young. He was the only father picking her up at the kindergarten yard. Mm-hmm. And he made a lot of sacrifices in his career in order to make opportunities available for me. And it's balanced out over time. We're both doing well in our careers right now. My daughter's about to go into university. And... But a big part of that picture was he faced a lot of stigma. His most dreaded question is at a, at a cocktail party meeting people knew was, what do you do? Because being a stay-at-home dad was not, was not something that he was allowed to be. And I feel that's getting better. I work in government now, and in government it's, it's a lot easier. That stigma is, is not there in the workplace. But I know it still is in a lot of workplaces. 
So the more we can be accepting and, and very open and encouraging of men stepping forward in that arena, the more we have those partners that make all of this possible. Uh, Winnika, there was a question that was uh, up here about uh, failing forward. Has it ever happened? You seem to be so successful. How is it possible you failed, and how do you fail forward? Um, I don't know. I really, th- I really feel like it's just taking the experience and really th- reflecting on what went wrong and what went right, and then using that to move forward and applying it to the next time you apply. So one thing I love to do is I love to keep a journal. I've been keeping a journal since I was in first grade, and now I'm in second year university. And so just having my thoughts down and always reflecting on you know, things that went wrong and right really helps with um, improving the next time I come around and apply for something. And um, yeah, so just recently winning those two awards, that didn't come out of thin air. That came with a lot of applications, trying and trying again with a lot of failures. But it's really led to a lot of open doors for me. So I truly encourage everyone to keep trying. And keep nominating and self-nominating and putting women forward. Thank you all for coming to our panel. And I hope we'll see you next fall at the same conference with the same energy and excitement in a Shad panel. That's our program for today. Thanks to the Canadian Science Policy Conference for giving Shads of all ages a chance to share their insights and recommendations to pave the way for the future. Make sure you follow Shadspeak on SoundCloud so you don't miss out on any of our podcasts. Until next time, I'm Teddy Katz.